To learn more about The Church at West Gantt, visit us at www.thechurchatwg.com or visit our Facebook page, and we would love to connect with you. Have a great day. Very good. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6. Our kiddos are going to head upstairs while you're getting there. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16 is where we're going to be today. We're really just covering about three verses this morning, so a short passage but a good bit in it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. Years ago, I noticed for the first time in my life that I was getting fat. Yep, big bellied all the way around. Um, I grew up playing sports. I was always somewhat athletic, I like to think. Um, I played college soccer, and uh, at that point, I was probably the fittest that I'd have ever been. Um, I never quite got to where I had like a really solid, like six-pack rippled abs, right? But I was strong, uh, and I was skinny, and I could run for miles on end with no issues whatsoever. Uh, And uh, that all changed when I quit the soccer team at North Greenville, uh, and when I Uh, got really busy in ministry, and when I started hanging out with a bunch of teenagers eating junk food all the time. Uh, And so youth ministry uh, tend to do me in for that will. I don't know if you ever experienced that at Tanglewood, but um, there's the freshman 15 you gain when you go off to college. There's a youth pastor 50 that you gain when you become a youth pastor. That's just how it goes. You gain a little donut in the middle, all right? Um, And so over the years, I've gotten a little bit bigger, but several years ago, probably about Uh, Gosh, I guess it's been about 12 years ago now, uh, I realized just how big I was getting. And so there were a couple of options, right? I could go on some diets and I could eat some food that I don't really enjoy uh, and I could exercise a whole lot more. And over the course of time, uh, six months, a year, two years, that weight would probably fall back off and, and I would probably be more disciplined and better shape and it would probably be good. Or I could go to the extreme level and get it done in about two months by doing something spiritual, right? And so as a youth pastor, uh, fresh in the ministry and trying to figure these things out, I thought, I'm going to do the Daniel fast, all right? Anybody ever done the Daniel fast? Yeah, we got a few in the room that have done the Daniel fast. All right, if you don't know what the Daniel fast is, here's the background of that story, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, several other Israelite people, Hebrew people have been uh, taken from their home and they are being held in captivity in Babylon uh, and they are being forced to eat food that goes against their Jewish upbringing and their tradition. And so Daniel goes to his superior, a Babylonian leader, and he goes to him and he says, hey, here's the deal, we're not supposed to eat that kind of food and so we're gonna not do that. And, and the guy who's over him, his supervisor's kind of like, hey, you're going to get me killed for that. Like, you really need to probably eat some of this. And Daniel's like, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. Um, if you let us eat, me and all my friends, if we can eat what we need to eat for the next 10 days, we'll just do vegetables and fruit uh, and water and juice. That's basically about it. Like, if we'll just do those things over the next 10 days, then at the end of that time period, you can test us against anyone else in your kingdom. And if we are stronger than the people who are eating these other foods, then you can't say another word to us. You gotta let us live into our Jewish heritage. 
And so the supervisor agrees and he says, okay, we'll put it to the test and we'll see what happens. And so over the course of 10 days, these guys, uh, Daniel and his buddies, all they eat are fruit and vegetables, uh, stuff out of the garden, stuff you could walk outside, pick off a tree right now and eat it. And that was it. And at the end of 10 days, the supervisor comes back and he puts them to test. And uh, Daniel chapter one tells us that Daniel and his friends were stronger, more fit, more able than anyone else in the kingdom of Babylon. And so what that has turned into is nowadays uh, there is a modern day version of the Daniel fast where people uh, attempt to follow the same food uh, regulations that Daniel and his friends followed in an attempt to do two things, grow spiritually and put their dependence on God, which is what fasting really should be about. But the second thing was the thing that I was more concerned about, losing weight. And so I went on a 60-day, not 10-day. I was like, if Daniel could do it in 10, I'm gonna do it in 60. We're gonna make this thing happen. So I went on a 60-day Daniel fast, and in 60 days, I lost like 30 or 40 pounds. I mean, it was like melting off of me, like falling off. I had people from our church that were like, Chris, are you okay? Are you like dying? Like what's going, like it was just melting off of me. And I was so excited that the weight was going and I was getting back in shape and I was gonna be able to keep up with all these teenagers I was supposed to be spending my time with. And the truth is that I had gone about that all the wrong way. Over the next few years, about every two years after that, I would do another Daniel fast and I always walked into it with the mentality of, yeah, I wanna grow a little closer to God, but it really became more about, hey, I, I want the opportunity to undo all the bad stuff I've ate for the last two years. And so in 60 days, I'm gonna try to reverse all of the poor decisions that I had made for two years prior. Fasting is not meant to be this magical fix to the bad decisions in life that we've made. It's also not meant to be something that is done because it's popular or it's a fad or it's a thing that everyone else is doing. In fact, when I first chose to do the Daniel fast, it was because I had several friends who were also doing a Daniel fast at the same time. And I thought, hey, how cool, they're doing it. I'm gonna jump in and we'll all do it together and it's gonna be great. But what I missed in that decision was the true heartbeat behind what fasting is designed to be. I, I may have benefited from the loss of weight, but there was a spiritual burden that I was never lifted from. I, I wanna look this morning in Matthew chapter six. Jesus is gonna address the idea of fasting with his disciples. We've been in a larger chunk of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five all the way through Matthew chapter seven. And even within that, there are kind of these subsections that Jesus is talking through. And in this subsection in particular, he's dealing with true righteousness. And so a couple weeks ago, we heard about uh, true righteousness through giving. And, and Jesus taught his disciples that, hey, when you give, you need to give in secret. You need to give in such a way that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing because giving is not about you gaining the attention of people around you. It's about you doing what's right. It's about you doing what God has called you to do with your money. It's about loving people well. And if you do it for the show, you've already received your reward. Then he goes on from giving. And he, he talked about last week, we dove into the idea of prayer. And we talked about the fact that prayer is very much meant to be the same way, that, that we can pray as hypocrites. 
loud and in front of people and on stage and we can pray public prayers and, and maybe even our whole prayer life centers around the idea that somebody asked us to do it. I was asked in Sunday school or asked in a church service or asked in a life group or I was asked somewhere else to pray and so I did, but what does my private prayer life really look like? But also not just the idea of publicity versus hidden, but also the, the content of our prayers how we pray uh, uh, ritualistically and whether or not we repeat the same phrases over and over again or these empty things that really don't mean anything, they just sound good. And Jesus confronted his disciples with this idea that prayer is not meant to be something that is consistently just a public display, nor is it meant to be something that is empty in phrasing and content, but it is meant to be something that draws us closer to God in secret. It's meant to be something that is done in private that draws us closer to the heart of God. And if our secret prayer life is failing, our public prayer life should be non-existent. We've got to get what's done in secret done right first. Today, Jesus continues in that subsection of true righteousness, but he deals with the idea of fasting. Let's dive in. Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 16. And when you fast, notice he doesn't say if. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We've seen that phrasing before. Let's pray together over the reading of God's word. God, every week we have an opportunity to open the pages of a book, a story, a recorded history that was written in your blood. It was written in your tears. It was written in your love for us. And God, I don't ever want to take this book for granted. I don't ever want to take uh, this, these words that we've read. I don't want to breeze past them or treat them flippantly. God, I, I want to know them. I want to desire the content. I want to and plant them into my heart. Because God, Jesus didn't just come to preach a good sermon on a mountainside with his disciples and then go back to heaven, but Jesus was preparing these disciples for the day that he would be crucified, buried, and rise again. He was preparing his disciples for what the kingdom was gonna look like when he ascended to the throne. And God, we sit in that same kingdom today. We sit in your kingdom, God, where you rule and you reign. We sit in your kingdom, Father, where your word is supreme, where your rule matters, where, where who you are is who we want to be. And so, God, may we learn from these pages today. May we absorb all the information, God. May we pour it over our lives. And if there's anything in us, God, anything at all that doesn't line up with what these words say, God, I pray that you would convict us of that and challenge us of that 
not in some fake, superficial, churchy kind of way, but in a real, honest, hard look at our own hearts kind of way. That we would turn from that, repent, and begin to follow you. God, show us your will and your way this morning. We'll love you and we'll praise you for all that you do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in this huge chunk and he begins to look at his disciples and he says, hey, you need to give to the needy, but you need to do it in the right way. You need to pray, but you need to pray in the right way. And oh, by the way, you need to fast. And that's where I'm going to start this morning is uh, Jesus opens up these, uh, the phrasing here and he says, and when you fast, it is not if you fast, it is not maybe you'll fast, it's not if someone around you is fasting, it is when you fast. And I want to ask the question, when is the last time you intentionally uh, withdrew from something, whether it was food or some other thing that you've become dependent on, when is the last time you set that aside for an intentional dive into your relationship with Jesus? We did this actually last summer. I challenged us all as a church. We were walking through a summer of prayer. In fact, we started it this month, last year. It has been exactly a year. We challenged you guys to come to some prayer nights where we had prayer stations set up all over the room and uh, we had soft music and dim lights and you could come and you could pray. We had devotional guides that were written by three men in our church that you could walk through on the topic of prayer and uh, we even preached a sermon series all the way through the month of July on the topic of prayer. But in the month of July, we also challenged everyone in this room and everyone who's uh, in our Spanish service at two o'clock, we challenged everyone who's a part of this church to fast for 96 hours. And if everyone in our church had done that fast, we will have fasted total for about 10,000 hours in one month. Can you imagine what that would look like? Can you imagine, and we tried, and I think that many of you probably did, but I know that many of you did not. I know that many of us heard the word fasting and we went, he wants me to go without food. Well, that's not happening. Or he wants me to set aside my social media for 96 hours. Man, I don't know if I can go away from the computer screen or my phone long enough to make that happen. 96 hours was all it would have taken. Four days. Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, when you fast. We've got to get back into the spiritual habit of fasting. We as a church, as individuals, have to get back into the habit of saying, God, I'm going to set aside something that is driving me right now, something that takes my attention, something that I'm investing into. I need to set that aside for a specific amount of time, God, to allow you the opportunity and the room to speak back into my life again, because that is the desire of fasting. It is also the desire of fasting that we see something miraculous happen. Go all the way back to Daniel 1 where we started this morning. Daniel and his friends did not go before the supervisor who was doing this, uh, uh, pushing them to eat food they weren't supposed to eat. They didn't go to that supervisor and say, hey, we'd like to go on a diet. Hey, we'd like to lose some weight. Hey, we'd like to just make your job difficult. 
they went before the supervisor and they asked for permission to fast in such a way so that God could show up. Do you desire God to show up in your life? Do you desire that in a weekly, monthly, yearly basis, we would see God move and breathe and do something that is way outside of our capabilities? Because if we desire that, if we really do, if we want more than just showing up to church on a Sunday, if we want to see God transform a community, if we want to see the pews filled again, not because we've just uh, got a crowd to gather, but because we've reached people with the gospel, if we desire to see that movement of God, it will require our dependence on him, and that's what fasting drives us to. Daniel and his friends put their complete dependence on God in that moment. They laid aside food that would have been beneficial to them to eat, things like meat, right, like protein, all right, things that would have strengthened their body. They put aside things that would have been good to eat, things like salt and seasonings. They did away with all the preservatives that make things flavorful. And they just ate things that only God could use to strengthen them and build them up. And they began that journey with an understanding that if anything was going to happen, it wasn't gonna be because of what they did. It was gonna be because of how God showed up. Do we desire that kind of movement in our own spiritual walks and in the life of this church? Because if we do, if we desire to see that movement, then we have no choice but to go before the Father and say to him, God, we will set aside the things we are dependent on in order that we would be more dependent on you, in order that in the end of this thing, we can look at it and go, that wasn't a pastor thing, that wasn't a worship leader thing, that wasn't a program at church, that wasn't any of those things, it was a movement of God. That's what I desire. I don't wanna be a pastor whose name is all over everything and people go, man, you remember the days when Reverend Chris Bates was here. In fact, if y'all call me Reverend, we got issues. I don't want to be remembered here for being a pastor who led a movement that everybody goes and remembers the glory days of when this pastor was here and a lot of cool things happened. I, I wanna be the guy who stands in the background and just worships God. I wanna be the pastor who pours my life out and leads us to do the same thing so that we can look back on the years and go, not, hey, how cool that was when Pastor Chris was here, but man, look what God did. And if that's gonna be the case, I have to fast. Not in order that I would lose weight, <laughs> although I could stand to lose a few, but in order that God would move. Jesus begins this chunk as he looks at his disciples and he says, when you fast, not if, not maybe, when. When's the last time you allowed that to be the case for you? He keeps going. He says, when you fast, here's the negative. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. What do they do? They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. They take what is meant to be uh, this 
thing of dependence on God that draws attention to who God is, that draws attention to the miracles of what God is going to do, and they turn it back onto themselves with a pitiful look on their face. You ever see those people? Maybe you've worked with somebody like that. They walk into work and they want you to know about all the trouble they've had that week. Right, they walk in and they go, you say, hey man, how's it going? And they go, well... This week's been tough, man. It's been, it's just been ridiculous. And then they start listing off all the things. Now listen, I'm all for transparency. I'm all for having relationships where we can be open and honest and we can say, I've had a tough day. That's what a church body is for, that we can pray for one another and encourage one another and build one another up. But there are some people who they don't do that in order that you would pray for them. They do that in order that you would see them as a victim and that you would have sympathy and empathy for them and that you would pour out in them and you would see them in some special light. And that's what was going on with the Pharisees in Jesus' day is they would fast, but they would make sure you knew about it. They would make sure by the look on their face and the, the way that they just moved, and oh man, we're, we're so weak, we just haven't had... We haven't had food, and they would disfigure everything about them so that people knew what was going on. Maybe you know some people like that even within a church family that don't necessarily disfigure their face about painful experiences in life, but maybe they just always want you to know about all the super spiritual things they're doing. God says you're a hypocrite. If that's the mentality that we carry, if it's the mentality that we stand before a crowd and declare our righteousness before people. In fact, that's been the topic for the last two weeks. Jesus speaks to them, he says, hey, if you're gonna give, do it in such a way that no one knows. If you're gonna pray, do it in private without heaping up empty phrases that mean nothing. And hey, when you fast, do it in such a way that people around you have no idea that that's what you're doing. You know how we'll know that the people in our church are fasting? It won't be when I look around the crowd and everybody's asleep in church because they have no energy. It won't be when people walk into the church and start complaining about their stomachs rumbling or the fact that they're, they're too hungry to move on. It won't be when we disfigure our faces and complain about it or, or tell everyone that we're fasting. We will know that this church has begun to fast when we see God move. And that's what Jesus declares to his disciples. He says, don't be like these Pharisees. They, they disfigure their faces. They do all these things in order that you would see their fake form of righteousness. But they have missed the purpose of fasting when they desire all of the attention on themselves. Now, we could apply this across the board. It's more than just fasting. It's everything. It's everything that we do in service to people around us. It's everything that we do in following God. It's, it's the, uh, the teaching that we do. It's the leadership of people. It's the investment in teams. It's showing up to volunteer. It's all of these things can very easily shift from let me give God the glory and God's movement, that being the focus to, hey, look what I've done. Look how I've suffered for God's kingdom. Jesus says we are hypocritical when we declare it that way. He says don't be like the Pharisees, those hypocrites who disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And then 
He gives us a positive, verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. What's he saying? Take a bath, man. Do your normal routine so that no one around you will be able to tell. Verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Fast in secret. There are three big things about fasting that I want to take from this passage this morning. If you're taking notes, these are good things to write down. Number one, true fasting drives a dependence on God, not on the things of this world. True fasting drives a dependence on God, not on the things of this world. So if we are going to walk in to a heartbeat of fasting as a church, we need to approach it with the right attitude. That we are trying to move our dependence from things and stuff and food to a dependence on God for everything. In fact, we're going to see that in the following passages as Jesus fleshes this out a little bit more. We're going to see in just a couple weeks, we're going to come to this passage about anxiety. And we're going to see in that passage, Jesus goes into this conversation and he says, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Because you see that bird out there? I've already provided for that bird and I love you way more than I love that bird. So I'm going to give you what you need. Hey, don't worry about your clothes because I've already clothed the fields out here with beautiful flowers. And if I've clothed some grass, how much more so will I take care of you, my child? And so it's this dependency on God that says, hey, I'm not going to depend on my own means of being able to create and make. And we can go back to Daniel again. Daniel was not uh, trying to produce something out of this food that he was eating. In fact, quite the opposite. He was actually creating a, a, a lack of things in his body so that God could fill the gap and only God could get the glory. Fasting should drive a dependence on him. So when we make excuses for fasting, oh, I can't do that, oh, I can't do that, you know what we've communicated? I can't trust God enough to fill the gap in my life. How small of a God do you worship? How small of a God do you worship that you can't depend on him for everything? We just sang this song twice. You are more than the air that I breathe. How about the food in your belly? We don't trust God enough. It's a faith issue. True fasting drives a dependence on God. Secondly, true fasting is about future reward. True fasting is about Future reward. We see that in this verse. He says, uh, verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, uh, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He draws a contrast. In fact, in all three of these passages, giving, praying, and fasting, he draws a contrast about current reward and future reward. He, he draws a contrast about the things that we do to draw attention to us, and when we do that, when we display this false righteousness in front of people, we've already got what we've asked for, the applause of men. Good job. Good job. There's your reward. But when we operate in true righteousness, when we operate in the things that God desires us to do, we don't get the applause of men many times. 
but we do get the applause of the God who spoke a universe into existence. He looks at us and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome to your reward. Which would you rather have? I don't desire the applause of men. I don't desire approval. I desire God to look at me and say, that's my boy. That's my child. And what an incredible job you've done. Fasting drives a dependence on God. True fasting is about a future reward, not about the applause of men. And finally, true fasting is about self-discipline. There are fruits of the Spirit that are meant to be cultivated in us. Fruit doesn't just grow randomly. I don't know how many of you have fruit trees at home or bushes that produce some sort of crop for you. I know that we've got several farmers in the room. David Allison's probably the most successful one in the room. If you want tomatoes, go see David, all right? He produces a lot of stuff. But David, I got a quick question for you. Hate to call you out in the middle of a service, but I got a quick question for you. How much time do you spend in your garden? More than I should, all right? More than I should. David Allison, man, if you haven't seen his garden, I'll give you his address later and you can go creep on him, all right? Uh, Cindy will just, you know, if you get mad at me, it's okay. Uh, But people will just come do a tour of David's uh, garden. He's got actually two, right? There's one in his backyard, but then there's also one across the street is my understanding. I've never seen the one across the street. I've just seen the one in his backyard and I can tell you that man knows how to grow some food. But that doesn't just happen. That fruit doesn't just cultivate on its own. There's work that goes into that. There's blood, sweat, and tears that goes into producing that fruit. Do you know what one of the fruits of the Spirit is? Discipline. Self-control. The ability to say no to things, even when we feel like we should have the right to say yes. You know how you'll know when you're following God? When the blood, the sweat, and the tears of obedience begins to produce things in you that you look at and you go, that wasn't there before. One of the things about fasting is that fasting produces the ability for self-control. Over 60 days of doing a Daniel fast, do you know how many times I wanted to give up? (laughs) Man, I just want a cheeseburger. Man, I just want this, I just want that. But you have to tell yourself over and over again, it's not about the meat that I love. It's about my dependence and my faith on God. And you have to control a lot of sinful desires. If uh, Jewel Bell was still here, by the way, Vicki Hingson sent me a video. Jewel, uh, if you've ever wanted an update on Jewel, I think we're gonna try to show a video next Sunday. Uh, Many of you will remember him, but Jewel was with us through Family Gate and then through the merger. Uh, He is just a, (laughs) he's just a good guy. If you didn't know Jewel, you missed out. Uh, But Jewel has gone to seminary in New Orleans and he sent us a video update of all that he's doing. Um, And so we're gonna show that next Sunday so that y'all can be updated because many of you have invested in his life. But Jewel Bell uh, will tell you, he's a weightlifter. 
all right? He's strong, he's big. I don't have any, no offense, but I don't have anybody left in the room that I can point to about that anymore. It's kind of sad. Every time I talked about weightlifting, I always called Jewel out. So now I have to backtrack to Wes. He's my next strongest guy. Uh, we can have a weightlifting competition later if y'all want to, and I'll find out who my new weightlifter is, um, and we'll just see who's got the best. But Jewel was it for the longest time for me. And Jewel would be the first one to tell you that he didn't get that way by eating cheeseburgers and being lazy. He got that way by waking up every morning. He used to send me videos at 4.30 in the morning of him in a weight room lifting weights, and then he would pause, he would put the weight down, he would wanna make sure I saw that he had lifted some huge amount of weight, and then he would get up and stand in front of the camera, and he would say, Chris, wake up, go do it, and then he would give me some devotional thought for the day about Jesus and scripture, and I would get really mad because my phone would beep at 4.30 in the morning, and it was Jewel Bell. Jewel was disciplined way more than I am in terms of physical conditioning. It will take discipline on behalf of every believer in this room if we're gonna really see God move. It's gonna take us beginning to be people who say no to some things that really we want and probably have the permission to be able to say yes to. It's also gonna take our ability to say yes to some things that maybe we wanted to say no to. But it will take faith. It will take discipline. It will take obedience. And fasting is one of the things that trains us in that. It is the bench press of the weight room. It is going in every day, putting weights on the rack and lifting it so that our arms will be big enough for beach season and we can stand there with pride and go, look what I did. Fasting becomes that for us when we discipline ourselves in that way. We lose that weight, that spiritual weight, and we become the physically fit church that God desires us to be. We become that spiritually, that's what I meant to say, not physically. We become that spiritually fit church that God desires us to be. It happens when we allow self-discipline to be a thing for us. It happens when we fast. So I'll ask again as we wrap up our time this morning. When's the last time you fasted? When's the last time you stepped into the spiritual weight room and said, God, I'm here to get self-disciplined. I'm here to become more dependent on you. I'm here for a future reward, not for a current reward. If we will become a church who desires those things, you won't be able to find a seat in here. You won't be able to walk in and find a place anymore. Not that you'll get shoved out of the way, but there'll be so many people walking in these doors going, I want what they've got. We won't be able to stand it. What kind of movement of God do we desire? Are we willing to put the work in for it? Or are we just here for show? Let's pray together. Father God, we, uh, we know that you desire us to be completely dependent on you. We know that you desire for us to follow you wholeheartedly and to live lives of true righteousness, not just some fake counterfeit version of it. And this morning, God, you have called out a very specific discipline of fasting, something that really honestly has kind of gotten lost in the discipline of our church and the discipline of the church at large. 
So God, this morning, we pray that you would draw us back to you. We pray, Father, that you would draw us back in such a way that we, we get on our knees before you and we, we lay down these things that we've been holding on to, this false form of righteousness. And God, that we would pursue you through the right things, disciplining ourselves to find full dependence on you, seeking a future reward in your kingdom. God, I pray this morning that if there's anything in us that resembles the faith of the hypocrite, God, I pray that you would cast that out of us. I pray that you would convict us so deeply of that, God, that we fall at the altar and we cry over it. Because, God, I have no desire to be a hypocrite. I have no desire to be one who stands before you one day in your kingdom, asking you to look at all the mighty works that I did and then yet still hearing the words, depart from me, I never knew you. God, I wanna be truly righteous. God, help me to be that way. Help this church to be that kind of people. God, we're here, standing at the altar, asking you to do a work in our hearts. We love you, and we'll praise you for all that you do. It's in your name that we pray.